Welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. I'm your host, Michael Chenitz, and we are here at KubeCon in Europe. And today my guest is Arun Gupta. Thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> so, so today I brought you on for a few, you know, I had a few things on my mind when I actually brought you on here. Um, you know, I come from um, days when Java was king and it was almost like McDonald's sign. There was like five, you know, five million <laughs> serves, you know, whatever, whatever it was. But yeah. um, now there's like a, a proliferation <clears throat> of different programming languages. And, and sometimes, you know, Java is still very relevant. And, and I don't think a lot of people realize that, but, you know, the first thing I'd, I really wanted to talk a little bit about is like, what is its place within you know this containerized world? How does it fit in now? Because I know yeah. you're, you, you've been around <clears throat> Java for a long time. A very long time, actually. <laughs> you know, and it's funny you say five million because <laughs> back in my Java days, I was part of the original JDK team. Yeah. You know, really building JDK 1.2 onwards. <laughs> Worked on that for about 15 years. And uh, when we were building Java, we build this Java enterprise server called as Glassfish, mm -hmm. and we build that zero to five million download. Five million, the number that we <laughs> coded. Yeah, see, I always go right on with the number. Right, so zero to five million downloads, and we didn't talk about the five million number. <laughs> no. So zero to five million downloads in three years, um, and I remember the dot and dot com, the sun used to talk about. So Java is definitely very close to my heart. I'm a Java champion as well. Yeah. Now, one of the things about containers is it is absolutely language agnostic, mm -hmm. right? Because it's like a shipping box. doesn't matter whether you're putting bikes into it or food into it or clothes into it. The box is going to just move around. And that is the same analogy that you can say. It doesn't matter whether there is Java into it, whether there is Rust into it or Go into it or Python into it. Mm -hmm. It's just a container. Mm -hmm. And Kubernetes in that sense is very agnostic to it. But if you think about it, Java is the most prominent enterprise language. And if you, if you look at, like, like I used to work at Apple prior to my current gig at Intel and Amazon. Majority of the services in AWS and majority of the services, like you hear about maps and all, those are all written in Java. Mm -hmm. So those applications, if you have to containerize, Java is the mechanism that you have to see. So that Java and container friendliness is super important. Sure. Now, Java applications sometimes can take a little bit more memory, but that's where you have to kind of make sure you break your application. It's usually not the application, but the, maybe the way you have designed the application. Mm -hmm. So then that's where the whole concept of microservices come in, where you take the bigger bulk, break it into smaller microservices, really do that separation of concern, and then make sure it is respecting those container boundaries. So what that means is in a container, you could say, here is how much CPU I need, here is how much memory I need, how does that translate to the Java runtime? So that correlation over the years has become a lot better in Java. So Java is a lot more attuned, understand the container primitives, and it runs very well, actually, in a containerized world. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> gosh, four, five, five years ago, I actually um, wrote the book Java for Docker. Oh, wow. Uh, sorry, Docker for Java developers. And then I wrote a book on Kubernetes for Java developers. So as a Java developer, if you're building a Spring application, how do I get started? Yeah. Like, what is the Maven plugin? What is the Gradle plugin? You know, do I need to understand the Kubernetes YAML, all those things? So there is very integrated tooling available by tools like IntelliJ mm -hmm. that just say, I'm going to take your Spring application and I'm going to create a Kubernetes Haml, uh, 
like chart for it yaml yeah. chart from it yeah. and that becomes very cool because end of the day as a java developer you want to focus on your application and so just yeah just kubernetes size it yeah yeah and and that's a, you know it's 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 kind of a good point talking about that because you know all these things are very complex by themselves but you start adding on these layers and and it adds a lot more complexity so you know one of the biggest things that i that i always talk about almost every conversation i have is this kind of going from legacy to microservices you know because you're taking this monolithic application that was based on libraries you're breaking it up you're putting it on breaking it up into its core components and really letting the network kind of be your your operating system at this point because right. now you got to see that these things are communicating and and have similar performance but now you have the network layer behind it right. you have the kubernetes orchestration layer that can be uh, modified and tuned you have the container you know container layers you have the you have you know all the programming and and all these things the the question i really come back to is is it too much you know is it so hard for people to get into creating these microservices now that that we've made it too complex i don't think so i know <laughs> if you really go back to like, let's go back to some microsystems yeah 25 years ago scott mcneely the ceo and chairman of uh, sun at that time he said the network is the computer yeah i think we are realizing that dream now yeah yeah <laughs> that's where it's coming up right because end of the day whatever you build on one computer is not going to be the case. Yeah. Like you want to do payment, you want to do social, you want to do OAuth login, all of those things, you need to cater into those services because without how would you scale otherwise? Yeah. You know, your one monolith can only scale to a certain level. And I'm not saying there is one size fits all answer, but if you are building an app and all of a sudden it becomes popular, you don't want the app to become a bottleneck. or the database to become a bottleneck or a caching to become a bottleneck or messaging to become a bottleneck and <clears throat> if i put a bandaid here it doesn't make sense right if i pinch and i put a bandaid oh it's solving a problem yeah so my advice and recommendation to customers is feel the pain don't jump into microservices bandwagon right away yeah make sure you're following the right domain design driven principles and all feeling the pain have your classes with separation of concerns and as you are building as you are growing just kind of start delegating the responsibilities to different domains essentially yeah and, and i think the, the nice thing about you know something like containerization is that it enables teams to work in the language they want to work in exactly and just expose the api in order to communicate that's it. To, to 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 one another so i think that's That's really one of the great things is you really don't have to decide what to do. I mean there there may be reasons you may want, you know, maybe want to do rust for performance or you want to do, you know, because there's certain aspects of that that need to be high performance. Right. But, you know, maybe the social aspects don't need to be as Exactly. you know, high performance, but and and it's easier to get started with maybe something, you know, like Python or something, you know. Yeah, it's truly the like <laughs> using the right tool for the right job, yeah. right? Yeah. And a lot of the times, you know, depending upon your team skill, you may get a team or acquire a team or that's the skill set that is available in the market if you get a java developer if you get a javascript developer it doesn't matter yeah. no but if that is serving your need package yeah. up in a container and yeah. ship it away yeah so in the, in that respect it actually has made things easier because it is. as long as you understand the construct that you need <clears throat> to communicate and you agree on that then then you can you can create that kind of connection so all we are talking about <laughs> is like okay you know what we're going to have this podcast recorded at 12 noon yep we meet up at 12 noon and yep. we take care of it yeah you know what am i doing before that what are you doing <laughs> after that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that's the contract that we yep. agreed upon and voila 
Yeah, it's it's funny because even even at work, I always talk about that. In between teams, you really should think about how you want to communicate and that kind of API. Almost almost think of it as an API contract. Yeah. This is what I'm going to give you, and this is what I expect to 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 you know to have in order to do what I need to do. And that <laughs> lack of communication, if you think about, is what leads to failures and you know projects falling apart completely. Yeah. If you have that explicit communication, whether it's projects, it's teams, it's relationships yeah. everywhere around the yeah. world. That communication, having an explicit understanding, here is what I gave, here is what I take, mm -hmm. perfect. And I yeah. think, and I'm not trying to oversimplify the problem. No, of course not. <laughs> um, because I've gone through that Death Star match <laughs> where we were playing Wisdom and Soap and all that. Yep. But I think you following the REST principles, using HTTP GET, PUT, POST, DELETE. Yeah, very simple. Very simple. And containerization in that sense only makes it simpler. We don't even care about the language. So I think it's a new level of abstraction yeah. that developers can think about. Yeah, it's funny when you say abstraction because I remember this really ages me too is that, you know, growing up, you know, we learned basic and Pascal. Right. And then, you know, and and you know, I learned assembly at some point too and then I'm like, you know, all these layers of abstraction people don't even understand how the real computer works anymore right. and now it's just abstracted out and out and out and out and out and know? now we're going to chat gpt and we're... now we're going to chat and then we'll just figure out everything for you we don't have to worry about it at all just write write the thing for me <laughs> run it into production and you know give me the app which is ready to roll so yeah i, mean, I hope I, not yeah no but you know what i i, I it's, it brings up a good point because i think you know i didn't plan on talking about this but this is an interesting point is that corporations right now are trying to figure out what to do with chat gpt you know, because you, you can't get, you know, it's it's dangerous if you use it in the wrong way and you can give out your intellectual property. Um, and, you know, but in some senses, like like test-based test development, that makes a lot of sense. Why write your tests anymore? Have ChatGPT write your tests. You know, so I can understand something like that. So, you know, where do you think we're going to, how do you think companies are going to try and figure this out, you know? Yeah, I think this is a big topic for the industry, actually. Yeah. You know, and within the CNCF, uh, legal committee. We had a very deep discussion on this. We had. I'm part of the LF board as well. Sure. Alternate on the LF board. We had a deeper discussion over there as well. I mean, companies will need to do what they think is right for them. Um, technologies like ChatGPT are gonna keep coming. Sure. Think about how they are not really. They're helping you be more effective, yeah. and make sure that you take accountability of the code that you're putting out there. Yeah. Because ChatGPT may generate, hopefully it's not part of your CI, CD pipeline, yeah, yeah. where it's generating code and pushing it to the GitHub repo. Yeah. Who wrote this code? I don't know. <laughs> so I think in that sense, yes, you can use it instead of starting from a blank sheet. Yeah. You can say, yeah, okay, I have the basic tooling here, but now I'm going to make sure it works in my environment, my security, my constraints, all of that. So think of it as a tool yeah. that can help you to be successful but organizations still need to make a decision for themselves. Yeah, so curate guardrails, basically. So what are the guardrails that we can operate this this new technology and just like anything else? Exactly. And, and also trust but verify, you know, you know, because you 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 can get a lot of different information from it and, right. and depending on how you've defined your kind of query, you know, you can get anything back. So it's like, and it's always gonna be different. So. Yeah, I'm like instead of doing that on Stack Overflow and Google anymore, people yeah. are going to chat GPT. Yeah. So it's just one more tool. Yes. It's a little bit higher level of abstraction. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you leverage it? That's where your own wisdom comes in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, and you have to do it smart. You definitely do. I mean, you can't just trust what comes back for it. And, and you know, it's, what's interesting is that 
the 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 legal environment around this is just going to blow up in every single way i mean in multimedia in photos in videos in source code in every every aspect they're going to have to create new legal standards for all of this yeah the attribution the attestation <laughs> yeah. all of that you know it's like i'm i don't know i didn't generate this chat gpt generated this movie for me yep it might have picked up parts and pieces from netflix yeah. and hulu and all yeah are you legally liable for that i'm not a lawyer so i don't want to get into <laughs> yeah, that exactly. but i agree that yeah. those are the guardrails we are all learning together yeah everybody's learning together i agree <laughs> well, well that's 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 a great conversation to have at a future time absolutely so so going back you know you've been involved in open source a long time so so how did you get involved in open source and and really why 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 are you so passionate about it <laughs> open source to me is why i believe that allows me to bring authentic self yeah and now if you think about what are the core principles of open source diversity inclusion integrity you know innovation creativity uh, kindness mindfulness yeah. all of that is what my personal values are as well and when you don't have to be somebody else at work and somebody else at home that makes it such a fulfilling and a satisfying experience and i've been involved with open source for over two decades and i have done open source for quite a number of companies now yeah currently i'm at intel prior to that at apple i helped set up their first open source program office i helped set up that practice at amazon as well where i was doing you know open source evangelism working with different service teams and then prior to that at red hat and couchbase and how i got into it was literally about 2003 time frame where we were taking our closed source application server to open source and then we realized source code is just one element of it mm-hmm. you need people you need culture you need tool all of that changed yeah because oftentimes i still remember we were in a corridor we would have a discussion but then immediate reminder is oh you know what send this on dev at glassfish list which is a public list because how would community know about it so bringing that cultural change you know you have done this design but how would community know about it oh so let's put this out so really bringing those processes <clears throat> advertising our meeting coordinates so that people can join in and listen in i think that's what excites me because to me really my thinking is very parochial and very narrow tapping into that collective wisdom is what i truly enjoy how do i harness into that community powered wisdom and make it scale is yeah. where i get excited. Yeah, and that, and that's it's funny because we just had a panel here uh, <clears throat> right before you came on. You probably saw some of the people that that were on there coming out, but but yeah, I mean it, that's that's the trick. It's like, you know, first of all, you know, everybody I think for in a certain sense are yearning for that human connection. You know, and I think that's great that that community can provide that. Right. And I think that, you know, everybody uh, that wants to um kind of learn and contribute and go back and forth likes to be involved in these things. I think I find myself a lot like you. I yeah. I love to exchange ideas. I love to learn about new things. I love to debate about things. Right. I love to, you know, right. and and I and I love to enable other people too, you know. To me that's that's what makes me feel good. No, absolutely. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean every time I have started learning a technology, the more I talk to people, yeah. hey, I'm trying to do this. But what about this? Yeah. What about this? Yep. That only makes you richer. Absolutely. Every conversation. Yeah. And that makes you that much like, oh, this is good. 
It's such yeah. a humbling yeah. and a fulfilling experience. Absolutely, yeah, and and I love that two way. And 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 to me, in my career, it's funny because you know it used to be that people didn't want to give you their knowledge. I was never like that. I was always like. If you want, if you're interested enough, and you're asking me to learn about something that I happen <clears throat> to know about, I don't know everything, but if I happen to know about it, then I will absolutely teach you if that, if that, if that's what you want to learn, you know. So so I really respect that when I see other people that are that are willing to do that too, and I, oh, I, I love, love that the community is yeah. like that now. I absolutely <laughs> love it. You know, I mean, on Sunday we had the CNCF Kids Day. We had about eighty plus kids. That's awesome. And we were teaching them how to do Minecraft modding, and. Somebody was saying that, hey, and in the Minecraft modding, you say in the chat when you say potato, it gives you a stack of 64 potatoes. <laughs> I would love to take that kid all the way to become a Kubernetes maintainer. That's amazing. And every time I see a twinkle in their eye, that oh, I made a TNT explosion bigger, because that much STEM you are giving to them. Yeah. So maybe we are a bit selfish in that sense that I want them to come to a STEM industry, <laughs> but I think it's also making the humanity better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and I, and I, you know, I, when we were at scale, I saw you last at scale. You know, what I really enjoyed about that is that it was more about like bringing families, bringing right. community, yeah. trying to just, you know, just to interact with people about what they're interested in. Right. You know, and and I thought that first of all, that was the first scale conference I ever went to, and I was amazed at how nice people were. It was just amazing. I think that's the whole <laughs> value proposition I say of an open source community. Yeah, and I'm not saying there are not bad players here yeah of course anywhere. like any community yeah, yeah. there are but i think within cncf i would say and i'm part of the several open source communities i would say cncf is by far the most diverse most inclusive and as part of the cncf governing board we work on that very cautiously yeah that's that how amazing. do we make sure that there is absolutely no scope like i'm part of the cncf code of conduct committee working group Yeah, yeah. We are defining what that code of conduct should look like for all of CNCF. Kubernetes already has a code of conduct. LF has a code of conduct. Now we are defining for CNCF as well, and we are really defining the jurisdiction. You know what is the code of conduct violation and stuff like that. So I think those are the kind of guardrails you create yeah. and make new contributors welcome. This morning we had a KubeCon community run. There were about. 25 odd runners. We ran through the Amsterdam city, and I was talking to multiple people. One of the um, runners was his name was Lakshay, <clears throat> and he comes from India, and he was part of the scholarship fund. Okay. We had such a fantastic discussion. He was asking me, Arun, I love open source. I want to get into open source. Yeah. What advice do you have for me? So we just got into a deep conversation. That's awesome. But I think those conversations, sometimes we may not realize it. But they're very fulfilling and touching to heart. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I find you know, and and you probably find the same thing is like, I feel like I've done a lot in my career, and and I feel like I want to help other people now. Like that's what I like. I feel good about. That's really what the thing that makes me want. And I think is what goes around comes around. Yeah, and I'm not doing it for that, but yeah. more it is that. The more I give away, yeah, the happier I feel. Yeah, I, it's counterintuitive, but that's how it works. Yeah, and and I feel like you know I love to see people being successful. Yeah. So if so if I could have some some way in that, some yeah. some aspect of that, yeah, that's that's amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So so moving on to your your job at in the open source, you know, as as the head, I, I don't even know what the what your full title is, but well, the title is uh, VP and oh, yeah. GM of Open Ecosystem at yeah. Intel. Yes. So, so what is what is that? You know, describe to people that are out there like what that actually entails, because you know it's it's such a 
the the open ecosystem and 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 OSPO offices and all these other things there there it's you know it's it's something that you think that you want to do but but I don't think a lot of people really know what it entails and I feel like there's you know depending on the organization it's obviously always different but there's there's definitely governance aspects there's definitely you know technical aspects and and community aspects and all these other things so explain what 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 it's like to be in that position and and what it actually entails yeah yeah actually funny you know um next week is going to be my one year anniversary at Intel. congratulations thank you i'm super excited to be here um and when greg lavender our cto reached out he says arun i want you to run our open ecosystem team i said i don't think intel and open source what do you do and he says yep that's exactly why we want to hire you so really i see my role as a chief storytelling officer yeah Intel has been such a fantastic contributor to open source for over two decades. Yeah. You know, we were one of the LF founding members. We are the top corporate contributor to Linux kernel for 15 years, top 10 contributor to Kubernetes, OpenJDK, top three contributor to PyTorch, TensorFlow, 300 plus community managed projects. Wow. And the reason we contribute there is because <clears throat> our customers, they consume these open source projects they consume our platform, which is Silicon Chip, yep. through these projects. Yeah. So whether they, whether they go to AWS or Google or Microsoft or private data center or Edge, they want to run these open source projects yep. over there. And so we make sure that these open source projects are fully optimized for the current and the future Silicon version. So that's the reason we contribute. So that's the storytelling that we are doing. So my team launched open.intel.com last year, well, revised it. Yeah. We have a Twitter handle. We have a podcast. This KubeCon is run out of my team. So we do a lot of external focusing activities, deeply technical blogs. Sure. And then we have a lot of internal events that we do. So um, things like we did an open ecosystem summit a few weeks ago. That had about 2,500 people across the company. Wow. Now that's the event part of it. Then, of course, OSPO, the open source program office, is part of my team. So that's the usual governance, compliance, all of that happens as part of that. Anything inbound and outbound of Intel open source happens through my team. And then we are also responsible for cross-Intel uh, strategy alignment. So we work with a lot of BUs. It's like <clears throat> they have sort of an open source strategy, but it's like, how do we frame it? Oh, yes. we don't know that. So that's where we are helping them that, okay, let's frame a cohesive strategy Let's figure out the cross-BU dependencies. Are they aware of it? Are you aware of it? We don't want this to be an accidental decision, but let this be a deliberate decision. Yeah. So we have these internal strategy meetings that uh, Greg Lavender leads, actually, and there are about 20-odd executives across the company that gather together on a monthly basis and where we talk about why open source matters. And the reason I'm super excited, you know, having worked at other companies, um, Pat, our CEO, Greg, our CTO, and my boss, Melissa, all three in my management chain, they all get it. Why, That's awesome. Why open source matters. Yeah. Because once they understand it, then I don't have to climb up the hill with 100 pebbles in my shoe. Because then they are pushing me behind myself, say, Arun, go run faster. Yeah. So they are enabling you, and then we are truly, truly putting the pedal to the metal. How do we make this work? Which is an amazing, um, you know, uh, a feat for for a company like Intel because you know so many companies that have been around for 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 this long, you know that that you know, um, 
they've just they really don't know how to interact with with open source. You know, they've they've done this enterprise way of life kind of, and that's the that's the the method they know, and it kind of butts heads with the open source way. But if you do it right, then you can give something to the community, you can engage with the community, and you could also you could also do things in the enterprise way if they, if people feel like they want to do that. But you can't just say, hey, I'm just going to make something that's 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 part of um, a side gig. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. you can't just do that. I no, mean, it's just I not, it's, it's not the but, right way to do it. And believe me, it's not easy. Yeah, I Because know. if it's easy, somebody else would have done it. Yes. And it's hard. That's yeah. why I enjoy it. Because Intel is a silicon company, right? Where a primary business is creating that silicon chip that goes all across all the CSPs everywhere, sure. right? So bringing that mindset of when you're contributing to open source, how does that work? Why are we doing it? How is it going into a downstream distro? Which customers are adopting it? So that's sort of the flywheel that we are working on with all of these uh, multiple BUs to build that story, essentially. And it's, it's very amazing. The level of support, the level of hunger, the level of desire that we have seen that, yeah, we need to build that. And I think that, to me, is the most exciting part. You know, I'm just here for a year. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I can go here for, forever. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, even even moving out of open source, you know, I think a lot of traditional companies don't understand what the new models are because to me, you know, why do people go to the cloud? They go to the cloud because they want to consume the services as easy as possible and it's they make it super easy to consume these services. Right. So, if you stick with AWS or you go to Google or you go to Azure, any one of those they have certain methodology. If you follow that, it's well documented. You can connect things together. You can get your application as, out the door as fast as possible. And really, you know, that kind of um, frictionless environment is what people look for. Right. If you're and it's and it has to be well documented. It has to have a lot of information. So really, a lot of these hardware companies, I don't care about a server anymore. I don't care about a network. Right. I don't care about that. That's right. all ancillary to me. What you have to sell is the services. That's it. If you have the services and you could provide a frictionless way, you could almost put that stuff on a, uh, you know, on some kind of delivery system that every, uh, you know, subscription that that every month or or whenever you need more, it just gives gives you more. Right. That's how people want to consume it. They don't want to care about that stuff anymore. No, no, it's so far down the stack, <laughs> and so we we don't the want them to care about it. Yeah. That's the reason we contribute to three hundred plus community projects. Yeah. No matter what project you're using. Whether it's Chrome, whether it's Chromium, yeah. whether it's OpenJDK, you pick a project. That's going to be fully optimized for the current chipset and the future chipset forever. Yeah. So I think that's the mentality. And that's what, see, because you can't do open source on the fringes in a company. Yeah. Because then it stays on the fringes. Yes. If it's not tied to the core business of the company, yeah. it's never going to sustain. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm excited that here, open source is very much smack in the I middle. I love that. I love that, and I think more more companies have to start to think that way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 a very, you know, it's 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 a very forward thinking way of of doing it. It's really the way that 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 people, as we said, people want to consume it that way. So, you know, it's just it's it's tough when you see like these these legacy companies that just don't get it, don't don't understand that. And I do work with a lot of OSPOs, you know, yeah. a lot of customers, a lot of end users, helping them. Like, okay, guys, what's going on? Like, <laughs> why 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 do you have an OSPO? Yeah. What is the purpose of an OSPO? Oh, it's just a rubber stamp. That. That's yeah. important. Define what is yeah. your purpose. Yeah. 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 And I think I would say to do group, which is a Linux Foundation um, yeah. group, 
has done a fantastic job on OSPO guide, the governance model, the sizing structure, all of that is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so so we're, we're kind of coming to the end here. I'd like to ask a couple questions. So what is the thing, like you're at, you're at KubeCon now, what are the, what's the thing you're most excited about seeing? Is there some kind of new technology, something out there that you're that you're really thinking about or? I, I, I think, gosh, it's been a while <laughs> yeah. for, and I've attended a lot of KubeCons over yeah. the last seven, eight years. I don't think I've ever come to KubeCon for a technology. Yeah. Because technology is all recorded <laughs> online, I can consume at my own pace. Yep. I have only come to yeah, it's important, <laughs> yeah. very important part. Yeah. But I've only come to KubeCon for hallway tracks. Yeah. So I've really come here to meet people, to That's see awesome. people, and this is sort of the largest KubeCon in Europe ever. Yeah. We are looking at ten thousand people, packed agenda, <laughs> packed attendees. So just seeing those people, hanging out with them, even like a two-minute walk in the hallway. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, this is a good idea. <laughs> Let's evolve. I think that's the part that I'm most excited about. Yeah, and that's that's it's that's you know going back to that, it's really I find coming to these events is when I when I start to talk to people and we start to ide you know ideate on these things and we're like oh yeah that is a good idea like and let's start to do that right. let's start to think about right. this you know you never know you know you plant all the seeds yeah which one will crop up you don't yeah. know I mean as a matter of fact this podcast was generated at scale when yeah, we met. Absolutely. So that's how things yeah. work. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly how it yeah. works. And I, yeah. and I love meeting new people and I love to interact with people as you can tell. Yeah. And um, you know, so so it's always interesting to get different perspective. Um, so yeah, no, I th I think this has been amazing and uh, you know, I'm so happy to have you on and hopefully you'll come on again sometime. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for the yeah. opportunity. Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you so much. Likewise. All right. All right. Bye.